So Google Stadia, at best, is off to a very, very rough start. Google Stadia, it's a thing. Admittedly, I actually bought one because I my curiosity got the best of me, even though I said I wouldn't. So you could write your flip-flop tech USA comments below in the description. And admittedly, I haven't had a bad experience with it. The, seri- the um, service from... Google, the game streaming service, launched in November. Um, I just got it recently, so I didn't have any of the hiccups people initially had where they didn't get their unlock codes and all this other stuff. So I tried Borderlands 3. I played Rage 2, and I played Destiny 2 on there. And I'm playing it on a 75-inch 4K TV. And let me tell you something. I Minus Rage 2. Rage 2, I feel it a little bit. Minus Rage 2, I feel no lag. Rage 2, it's still more than playable. And even as big and blown up as it is on my 4K TV, I don't feel like I'm playing a game that's streaming from the cloud. I feel like I'm playing it on a native console or PC. Would I recommend buying it? Hell no. I would not recommend buying it because one, it needs a lot more features. It needs a bunch of things to work. It needs more games. And two, I know Google, and they could drop Stadia like a large turd in the toilet if they just don't see profitability in the long run. And things are already looking not good for Stadia. So let's get into it. This article is from the Business Insider. And yeah, people are already pissed off with the service. Even people who were Stadia faithfuls from the beginning are already angry. And already pissed off at the service's lack of features, it not actually living up to its promises, so on and so forth. Let's start, actually, before we get into Business Insider, let me start on the Stadia subreddit. This comes from, posted with Jesus with an accent five days ago. This is what he wrote about the service. Let me first start with the fact that I have been blindly in support of Stadia since it was first announced. All of my friends told me it would suck. Your friends were right. Even though, like I said, I've had a good experience with it, but... It's still, it, it's nowhere near fleshed out enough that it could replace a gaming PC or console. Not even close. It wouldn't amount to anything, they told him, not to waste my money. But founders on day one of it being announced. I would do a Google search for Stadia almost daily at work just to see news articles about it. Fast forward to arrival today, so excited. Once I finally got my key, threw it all together, and played the hell out of it. I was having a blast, played at home, in my bedroom, at work, at the in-laws, wherever I could. I tried to show it off to everyone, all the doubters out there. They would want me to show them all the cool stuff it could do. Then started the excuses, meaning from Google. Oh yeah, the controller will be wireless eventually, because unless you use it with the Chromecast Ultra, the Stadia controller, which is very comfortable, admittedly, um, you have to have it plugged in via USB-C. Want to use it? You like you use it on Google Pixel phones. The phones are very. Li- if you have an iPhone, forget about it. You ain't using Stadia on an iPhone. Um, you actually have to have it plugged in. Which seriously, Google? What is this? Nineteen ninety-seven? Oh yeah, only Pixel phones work for it right now. Like I just said. Oh yeah, four K will be supported eventually. It's on the game developers, not Stadia, to make that happen. Even though when they first revealed Stadia. They bragged about how much more powerful it was than even like the Xbox One X and PS4 Pro combined. But then we find out like Red Dead Redemption and other games aren't even running at native 4K. They're just upscaling it to native 4K or upscaling it to 4K. 
which is pretty ridiculous when you could play Red Dead Redemption 2 on an Xbox One X and it plays in native 4K. <laughs> so the less powerful console is playing at a higher resolution than the all-powerful Stadia. The all-powerful Stadia. Um, I would ask people to try it out as I had two buddy passes. No, nobody really cared after looking at it. It was gimmicky and nobody thought of it as this new amazing thing. Understandably. Fast forward to today. It feels like it's dead already. I check daily on there. Stadia store, news stories, and ghost town. For anyone that's been around for a new gaming console coming out, it's crazy for the first year of it coming out. Huge lineup of games constantly being thrown out. That's not always necessarily true. Sometimes it's a slow trickle, then like you get the avalanche of games. That feature, that feature all being announced, so much fun. Here I am trying to enjoy and justify the 130 I spent on all this, and I just can't at this point. We got tricked into being beta testers, and it pisses me off. And he's right. He's very right. Some may not care, but personally, if I knew this was what I was getting as a founder, I would have saved my money for when it came out for everyone else for free. At least maybe by then, the features we were promised would be released. That or it would have already died, and I didn't waste my money. Controller is being put away, subscription is being canceled, damn, this guy's pissed, and forgetting about it until I hear we are out of beta and we are giving what we are promised. Good for him, man. You know what? I totally agree with him, and he's 100% right. Even though Stadia is better than I thought, it's not worth the money. It's absolutely not worth the money. Now, Google rep Patrick Sabold said there are six key features that they fixed in Stadia since it launched, and I'll go over those now. Uh, one, they added more games to the library, which is 26 titles, one which is exclusive to Stadia. Uh, two, they updated existing Chromecast Ultra devices so that they were able to run Stadia. whoop de doo uh, Three, they purchased a game studio. Great, you purchased one game studio. Uh, added Google Assistant support and game achievements, which they did. I, I noticed that firsthand from playing. I got some achievements. Added Stream Connect and Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Added a second buddy pass for Stadia users. But you still don't have basic things like voice chat, Google. How do you launch a game platform, streaming or not, in... 2019, late 2019, let's just say 2020, and it doesn't have voice chat when like the PS3 and Xbox 360 had voice chat. Granted, there was cross chat issues with the PS3 due to its divided RAM and it didn't have one pool of RAM like the 360, but we're getting technical about consoles that are no longer relevant, so who cares? But they had voice chat, at least some form of voice chat. You have none at all so far. Why... In Chrome, if I want to play Stadia in Chrome, I can't play games in 4K. Why does the controller only work wirelessly with the Chromecast Ultra? Why do I have to have it hooked up to a wire if I use it on a phone? And why does it only work, work with Pixel phones? And why when there's millions upon millions upon millions of people with iPhones do you not have the app ready on there? Which I love Google. Like, for example, the YouTube Creators app, it's like, 10 leagues behind the app on Android. Like they look, doesn't matter whether I own an Android phone or not, which I own an Android phone too. I have a galaxy S 10 as well, which I bought. Why do I get the crappier experience from you in an iPhone? If you release an app, Google, it should be the same quality, no matter what platform it's on. But then there's other news too, that already the players in destiny Two are halved, halved on stadia. 
from what they were when it first launched. This is coming from VideoGamesChronicle.com. Forbes reports that 19,400 active players were recorded on the title a week after its November 19th launch, while only eight, little over 8,000 were active as of January 2nd, representing a decline of 58.7%, almost 60% decline for Destiny 2 on the Stadia platform. Now, you could get into the argument that, look, if someone's play Stadia is a couple years old now, more than a couple years old, and people, if they're already playing it on the PS4, Xbox One, or PC, they're just sticking to those platforms. Understandable argument, but if you're launching a new gaming service or platform, you would expect, especially if it's the free game that comes with your Founders Edition of Stadia, for there to be much bigger numbers, even like I would expect like a hundred thousand or eighty thousand or something like that. Those numbers, even nineteen thousand four hundred for a game you get with the bundle is pathetically low, pathetically low. And look, I bought the service because I was curious, you know, flip flop tech USA, but I expected this to happen, man. And, and the problem is, too, is that most of the games that are on there Minus one game, let me look it up now. Minus the one game, Guilt, which I'm hearing isn't great. I haven't tried it yet personally, but I'm hearing it's not good. All the other games you could get everywhere else, and they'll look and run better. Go watch Digital Foundry. Go watch their 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 analysis of Destiny 2 on Stadia compared to the consoles. Yes, it runs at 60, but it kind of doesn't matter that it runs at 60 on Stadia because the latency, which is very minimal, admittedly, it impressed the hell out of me. There's still the latency there, so it doesn't give you more precise controls that you would get with higher frame rates on, on a local piece of hardware like a console or a PC. So you don't really... It, okay, it looks smoother, but you're not getting that more accurate gameplay or more accurate controls due to the higher frame rate. It just is more pleasing to the eye. But the games aren't... St- Destiny 2 is not running at 4K. Red Dead Redemption 2 is not running at 4K. You can't do voice chat. They have Borderlands 3, which is a co-op game. Can't do voice chat. Can't do voice chat in it. What are you doing, Google? What are you doing with Stadia? This is the problem I have with Google is they launch a service, and I feel like if it doesn't fly out the gates and is wildly successful right away... I feel like they half give up on it. Now, who knows, man? A year from now, we may have a different story. They may come out with these 120 games. They, they, they may get more studios under their belt. They may fix the, all the issues they're having with the service right now. They may cut down on the price of it. They may cut down on the price because the prices of games also are ridiculous on there. They're expensive as hell for just having the privilege of... Being able to stream the game to your computer. You're not getting ones and zeros. You're not actually getting data at all. You're just streaming from the cloud. And you're you're paying full AAA price for some of these games to just stream to your TV or your phone or playing on Chrome on your PC. But I don't know where they're going to go with it. Let's see if they fix everything. Let's see if they fix everything, cut the prices, and see if there's a future for Stadia. Because cloud gaming is the inevitable future. I still hold to that. But they launched it as a beta. Everyone who's complaining on Reddit is right. They launched it and it feels like a beta stadia. And they let people pay $130 to be Google's guinea pigs. And it's absolutely unacceptable. And stadia right now is in a world of trouble. They could turn things around. 
Hopefully they do. Hell, technically I'm invested in it right now, so I hope they do. But things are not looking good for Google's cloud gaming service, and I just hope they stick with it to at least allow things to turn around. But Google's track record isn't that good with that. All right, so a patent has just been filed by Sony Japan Studio, and it gives us a taste of what the DualShock 5 will be capable of, or gimmicks that the controller will have that Sony or third-party developers will probably virtually never use because we'll talk about the history of DualShock controllers and features that were never used. But anyway, so this is coming from comicbook.com. I'll link to the article below in the description. Uh, this is what it says. The patent in question filed recently and by Sony Japan Studio specifically makes note of new climbing mechanics. More or less, it notes that each trigger can represent a character's hand. With this, players can tilt the gamepad towards whatever climbing point they want to grab and use the triggers to independently grab with the character's left or right hand. Kind of sounds like what they do with VR controllers, like like with the Oculus controllers, but slightly more awkward. But anyway, meanwhile, if you pull too lightly, your character's grip will be lighter, and as a result, they could lose grip and fall. However, if you pull too hard, that's what she said, you may damage or break what you're trying to grab at. And of course, to let players know whether they are grabbing too light or too hard, the controller can vibrate or the game can give visual cues. Okay. All right, whatever. I'll leave my hot take for the end. Meanwhile, the other new mechanic the patent mentions is a cutting mechanic. So say players are holding a chainsaw. The controller's vibration and audio will reflect the saw is not cutting anything. However, once cutting objects, you'll feel not only the material of what you're cutting via the haptic feedback, but through the triggers. For example, if you're cutting through something thick and harder, you'll get more resistance in the triggers. Meanwhile, if you're cutting through butter, you won't feel a thing. So, okay, they're trying to make the controller give you a more visceral experience with the DualShock 5. If this patent is actually features that are actually implemented in the DualShock 5. We have to remember patents are filed all the time. And it doesn't always mean things that are f patents that are filed by Nintendo, Sony, or Microsoft actually come to fruition as a consumer product. But a lot of times, if you think back to the past, and I think it really starts with the DualShock 2 for the PlayStation 2, there were features that were implemented in controllers by Sony, their DualShocks, that were either lightly used, barely used, or never used. I know on the PlayStation 2 DualShock, the face buttons actually were pressure sensitive. So if you press them harder, it would actually, like say you were trying to drive a car and, and you want to put your foot down harder under the gas. If you press the face buttons harder on the PlayStation 2 DualShock, it was supposed to give you a more accurate experience. As far as I know, at least games that I played, the majority of games never really used it. Then when you went on to the 6-axis controller, because you remember there was some kind of lawsuit that Sony had with, with the vibration inside of the controller, so they couldn't have vibration initially, and they had the 6-axis controller, where it was all about, you know, it was them, it was basically Sony saying, hmm, just in case this Wii thing that Nintendo was coming out with at the time, which was a wild success, is successful, we want to have our own motion controls inside of our PlayStation 3 controller, so... And it didn't have the vibe, it didn't have the haptic feedback or the vibration features initially. Can't say haptic feedback because te technically the motors and the controllers aren't haptic feedback. They just went with the motion controls. And I remember they showed that game Lair 
um, when they showed off the motion controls of the six axis. And again, it was something that was barely used and no one really gave a crap about it. So then we went on to the DualShock 4, which had the touchpad on the DualShock 4 controller. No one ever really used that. The light in the front, I know, of the DualShock 4 sometimes is used with PlayStation VR games. But anyone really using that touchpad? Anybody? No, not not really. The touchpad was worthless on there. And the light just ended up costing more battery and making the battery life of the DualShock 4 shorter, which annoyed most people. I could care less that the DualShock 5 is probably going to get rid of the light. Here we are now at the DualShock 5, though. And maybe these features will be used. But do you see? Do let's pretend I'm holding a DualShock Five right now. Here's my making. Here's my DualShock Five. Are you really going to sit there and pretend like here I'm holding the DualShock Five R1 trigger? Am I really going to sit there go? I'm cutting through wood right now. No, you're not. You're not like it's going to be used in a couple games, probably at launch, and then third-party developers aren't going to care about it, and everyone's just going to move on with their day. Or who knows? Maybe this will finally be the time Sony's trying to innovate, and the features will be used. But they've tried this in the past before, like I said, with the DualShock Two, DualShock Three, or Six Six Access controller, DualShock Four. Here we are with the DualShock Five, and they're trying something else. But maybe something finally will stick. Hey, at least they're trying, and they're trying to be innovative. But I kind of just don't see me going like this, like, oh, I just need to cut through this big, thick piece of wood. So nice, big and thick. (sighs) That's what she said again. So I straight up can't stand people like this who feel like they're owed a living on YouTube or on Twitch or on Mixer or wherever they are because... Not only is it absolutely ridiculous and whoever views them owes them absolutely nothing, it makes other content creators like me look absolutely terrible because it's always the village idiot that everyone assumes that everyone else is like. Okay, when there's one idiot in the village, they assume that everyone in the village is an idiot. So when there's one person like this bad bunny on Twitch who's literally talking down to her viewers because they're not subscribers to her giving her money. Everyone thinks that everyone on Twitch is like that or on YouTube is like that or Mixer or wherever. So shout out to my buddy Lenny. He actually sent me this on Facebook. You're an awesome dude because I want to rip this woman a new one verbally. So there's other videos of her out there, by the way, where I think Memeology 101 did a video on her saying that she is what she is. The Actually, I think she's worse than DSP. DSP is not as bad as her. You're about to see in a second. But she's done other things where she basically tries to put her viewers' backs against the wall to be subscribers to her to give her money on Twitch. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And just yesterday... Uh, she lost her mind because she wasn't getting enough subscriptions. And this is a clip of what she had to say. Now, her stats right now, if we look, I mean, what's funny is, is that she's actually gaining followers because of this. I guess people want to see if she's a train wreck like Wings of Redemption and DSP. She has close to 93,000 followers, which there's people that are grateful they could get a thousand people to watch them or a couple hundred to follow them on Twitch. But anyway... Man, she's mad that she's not getting enough subscribers. Let's listen to her complain. It's fun. How did my whole speech about how I need subs to get the stream going if you like the content, blah, blah, blah. 
How that results in zero subs? There are regulars here. Five dollars a month. Maybe because people don't owe you anything and simply by them being there watching you is supporting you. I went to your channel. You do have ads that come up on your streams. So they are supporting you. They just may not feel that they have to give you a subscription for five bucks a month. Like, how ungrateful can you be? But let me hold back for a little bit. How are you have hours of time to watch me and not five dollars? I don't know. What are you doing with your life where you have hours of time to watch Twitch and not five dollars to provide for the content that you're watching? There are so look at I have a wall of non subs. This is fucking actually really heartbreaking. Because it's like people just really have no, really don't respect me as a content creator. What you should look at it like is, wow, I do have subscribers. Thank you for being a subscriber. Most people who watch my my streams aren't members and most don't give super chats. Am I saying, how dare you not give super chats? How dare you not become members on YouTube? No, I'm grateful that I have members and people support the show via super chat. I don't talk down to them for the vast majority of people not doing it. I'm thankful they're there because they're still supporting the show. They're still supporting my streams just by showing up. You're a fool for looking at it the wrong way. And this is going to make her career implode, which it probably already has already. I'm sure people subscribing to her or following her, I mean to say, on Twitch are following her because they know she's a train wreck in the making. Like I said in the beginning of this video, what annoys me the most about this is... It's people like her that gives every content creator a bad name. I'm just thankful that I could do something I'm truly passionate about for a living. I don't feel that I'm owed a living by any of you. I'm very, very grateful that people come here to my videos and watch them, come to my streams and watch them. And on top of it, too, it's amazing that people proactively because i don't ask once in a while i'll bring up hey you know if you want to support the show become a member but even that i don't do that often that people proactively without even being asked come and, and support the show via super chat or memberships but you really think that people owe you this first off like i said they're also supporting you by watching your streams there's ads on there when people watch my YouTube videos, they don't have to pay a dime and they're just watching and that supports me. They're supporting the show that way. They're like, hey, I like Review Tech USA content enough. Whether they're members or not, which 99.9% .9 of people aren't members, they're still supporting the show by watching. And I'm so damn thankful that for seven years, seven plus years, I've been able to do this as a living because people proactively choose to watch my content. And I'm thankful you, on the other hand, feel entitled and ungrateful. And you know what's funny? Is that I got some bad news for you, Bad Bunny. Yeah, this isn't easy. To, sure, the job physically isn't hard. And to everyone out there who does construction and things for a living, I respect the hell out of you, man. It's hard, back-breaking work. But to get enough of a following on here? Yeah, Bad Bunny, it's tough. It's not easy. I did it for years upon years and made virtually nothing. I remember it took me like two and a half years to hit a thousand subscribers and I was so, I almost lost my mind. It felt like hitting 10 million subs. You have to love what you do, man. No one is owed a living on here. I really think you get a lot of people like Bad Bunny who think that, oh, you know, hey, I could just sit in front of my computer and magically make money. It doesn't work like that.
especially nowadays because there's so many other people doing this. There are so many people trying to become ninja, trying to become whoever, PewDiePie, trying to blow up, trying to become, let's keep it real, Keemstar. You know what I'm saying? They, they think it's just so easy just to sit there with the mic in front of you. If it was so, how many Howard Stearns are out there? If it was, everyone else says, oh, I could just sit there and talk and, and make and make millions of dollars. Okay, so go ahead and do it, genius. Go ahead and do it. If it's so easy to just, oh, I just sit in front of a mic and talk about whatever I want to, please go ahead. Go ahead and get enough of a following that you can make a living off of it just like that if it's so damn easy. I love people, that, and, and people like her think that, hey, if other people do it, I could do it too. And what do you think is going to happen? Do you think you're going to last forever, Bad Bunny? When you sit down there and, and you talk down to your audience, do you think you're really going to last forever? Of course you're not. You're going to be another lol cow. You're going to be another DSP. You're going to be another Wings of Redemption. People hate when you try to make them feel obligated to support you. And how do you not have $5? Seriously? There was a time. I remember when I used to go to work when it would be like, hmm, should I put gas in my car? Or should I get $5 for lunch and I would have to skip lunch? Yes, even when I was fat, I would have to, trust me, I found other ways to make up for it. But there was a time, it was like that. There was a time where I had to skip bills. So sometimes that 5 bucks can make or break you. Sometimes you don't have it in your bank account. Sometimes you don't have it in your wallet. Apparently you've never been in that situation before, but I sure as hell have. It's so annoying, man. It's so annoying. And people like this, look, two things. If you want to stream or you want to become a content creator, be grateful. If you have five people that watch you, be grateful. If you have a thousand, if you have a million that watch you, treat all of them good because they're choosing to watch you and nobody owes you a view. You owe them for them choosing to view you. Don't become her because you won't last. And secondly, man, you need to do this because you love it. You can't do this because you think you're going to just blow up and be able to make easy money. Because guess what? There's no such thing in the world as easy money unless you were born into money. Unless you're like Paris Hilton or the Kardashians. Life just doesn't choose to be easy for you. No one's just going to throw dollar bills at you. So one of the things that I've been very concerned about with both next-gen consoles is what the hard drive size will be. I understand you can add a USB hard drive in there, or in the PlayStation 4, you could actually just replace the internal hard drive, but I just like to have enough storage inside the damn system. I don't like to have to hook up an external drive. It's a pain in the ass, and it's just easier to have it everything all encapsulated inside of your console. I think most people or virtually all of you will agree with me with that. Um, but anyway, today we have another rumor coming from 4chan. Now, look, I get it's 4chan and I get there's a lot of misinformation that comes from there. But once in a while, some of the leaks actually have some truth to them. So this also, like I said, comes from 4chan. It's unsourced and therefore unverified. But the image, here we go, drum roll please, is supposedly of the PS5's user interface. Now, you're going to notice something there. Now, it's interesting. Now, they could have just done this for effect to make it seem more legitimate, but they have, I guess, some personal information there that could get where the leak came from. People could find out. They have that all wiped out, like I'm guessing IP addresses and whatever. 
But you also see this logo here. That's the Decima engine logo, which is going to be used for a lot of the next-gen Sony games. So that's something to add some legitimacy there. And I'm not expecting major huge differences with the basic UI features of the PlayStation 5. I'm not saying under the hood there won't be a ton of changes, but what it looks like, this is kind of what I expect. But take a look at the hard drive size there. We're looking at maybe a terabyte again. Now, keep in mind, this is a dev kit. Usually, as far as I've heard with dev kits, they give even more space. So, look, maybe they gave less space with this actual dev kit because maybe they're just working on a single game and they don't need to actually have over a terabyte of storage. I'm trying to be hopeful here, wishful thinking, but please, oh no, here we go again. They're going to release with not enough storage inside of it. The PlayStation 5 is only going to have a terabyte when it comes out. Seriously? Now, there's speculation that maybe this is someone from Guerrilla Games working on Horizon Zero Dawn 2. It could be. But there's also, like I said, other companies that use the Decima engine. So we'll have to wait and see. But who knows, man? Someone could have did a bang-up job with... Photoshop and made this look totally legitimate. So I don't know. And it's coming from 4chan kind of takes away some credibility, but then we may get our PlayStation fives at the end of this year and be like, Oh yeah, that leak was totally accurate. But to Sony and to Microsoft, I, I need to, I'm, I'm begging you, please the bare minimum that should be inside of next-gen consoles, both the Series X and the PlayStation 5, should be two terabytes. Two terabytes now is like 500 gigabytes in the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One when they launched. And honestly, in my opinion, the Xbox One and PS4, that wasn't enough storage space back then. I'd actually like to see a little bit more, like 2.5 terabytes. And and the whole thing is, too, what Sony and Microsoft are touting is with the hard drive storage, it's so fast that it's going to minimize loading times and they're going to be virtually non-existent. It's going to help make seamless worlds. So if you want to add space, you're either you're going to have to cough up a lot of money or maybe we're going to go into the whole thing. Remember, we saw the picture where they showed that there was going to be like these cartridges that may be hard drives that you use on the PlayStation five. You're going to have to use a proprietary hard drive because it's so much faster that you can't just use a normal SSD in there or an NVMe drive so that maybe those cartridges are going to be that. But still, even if you want to upgrade your storage, there should be a minimum. The baseline should be two terabytes in the PS5 and Series X. But I just look again. This image is is a leak coming from a place where there's nothing to back up that it's an actually actual leak of the PlayStation 5 UI. I'm just getting this bad feeling, though. These consoles are going to launch with a terabyte of storage you're going to be able to put four games inside there even if you have the actual physical discs with all the updates and patches you're going to be able to get four games on the hard drive and that's going to suck it's going to be annoying and if you're going to want to upgrade the hard drive you're going to have to cough up a ton of money to sony and who knows maybe microsoft is going to do the same thing where you're going to have to use a proprietary hard drive to actually upgrade the storage we'll have to wait and see and yes again take this with a super small grain of salt but I just have this feeling that there's only going to be a terabyte of storage in next-gen consoles internally, and it's going to be really annoying to get more storage. So whether it be Sony, 
admittedly, Sony's return policies are fairly weak and they need to improve them. Microsoft or Steam, you can return your digital purchases and pre-orders. As a matter of fact, I absolutely love what Microsoft and Steam do. They're, they're very liberal. I'll talk about their policies after I get into what happened with Nintendo. But Nintendo doesn't give a damn. They don't care. If you bought or pre-ordered a game digitally through the eShop, it's yours. Even if you bought it by mistake, it's yours. Even if you change your mind and haven't played one second of the game, you ain't returning it. It's their money now. And a court case that just happened with Nintendo means they're going to be able to still screw over customers. And it drives me absolutely bonkers. Now, this is coming from ScreenRant.com, and this is what they have to say. It looks like Nintendo is on a roll with their legal wins, having recently won a case against the German Consumer Protection Authority. According to a report by Nintendo Everything, the Norwegian Consumer Council originally raised concerns about players' inability to cancel their eShop pre-orders back in February 2018, which eventually led to the German authority taking Nintendo to court over the matter. However, it was officially ruled Nintendo will be able to continue on with business as usual, at least for the time being, meaning they don't have to have any kind of return policy. If you buy a game, guess what? You're screwed. You bought it on the eShop. Sucks for you. You got to keep it. The court's decision has reportedly been appealed, but it will likely be up to a year and a half before any future action is taken. In the meantime, players who pay for and then preload a game from the Nintendo eShop will continue to be unable to cancel their purchases, even if the game has not been released to the public. This is in stark contrast to the way pre-orders work with other organizations like GameStop, where players can cancel their purchase and receive cash refunds up until the game arrives. And then ScreenRant goes on to say, oh, the the ability to refund a pre-order that was downloaded, it's complex and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, stop, get over it. If both Steam and Microsoft can do it, Nintendo and Sony could do it as well. Sony isn't as bad as Nintendo when it comes to refunds on digital purchases, but they ain't far behind them, you'll see in a second, but at least they offer something, whereas Nintendo is just like, that's it, you're screwed, you bought something, you ain't been able to return it. Now, I know it's so hard to do returns on digital purchases, even though all of their competitors offer it in some way, but let's look at what their competitors are offering. Let's look at what Sony's offering. This is what Sony's website has to say. You could cancel a digital content purchase within 14 days from the date of purchase and receive a refund, provided that you have not started downloading it or streaming it. Which, okay, fine. I I, I don't really like that because, say, you buy the game and you think it sucks. I understand the argument can be that, well, Rich, at GameStop, they don't do that. They don't let you return a brand new game. True, but... Again, Sony's competitors are doing that, but anyway. Digital content you have started downloading or streaming and in-game consumables that have been delivered are not eligible for a refund unless the content is faulty. You could cancel your purchase of a season pass within 14 days from the date of purchase and receive a refund, provided that you have not started downloading or streaming any digital content, e.g. game add-ons included in the season pass. And they also let you cancel pre-orders too. Sony, and Sony is the biggest tight-ass when it comes to this next to Nintendo, you may cancel a pre-order of digital content at any time before the release date and receive a refund. If the release date has passed, you could still change your mind or request a refund up to 14 days after payment was taken for the pre-order, provided that you have not started downloading or streaming the content to your device, which really you can't give that two-hour window like 
Microsoft and, and Valve, but whatever. At least they're giving you something. Now, Microsoft offers an insanely liberal refund policy when it comes to purchases of digital games. They give you up to 14 days after purchase, and you could even play the game for two hours. And then you could get your money back. You could request a refund. As long as you haven't gone over that two-hour window, and it's within two weeks of you purchasing the game or 14 days... You get a refund. You could even try it. If you think the game sucks, you could return it, which I think is amazing. Even pre-orders, too. This is right from Microsoft's website. If you change your mind and want to cancel your pre-order, you can do this up to 10 days before the game launches at account.microsoft.com slash billing slash orders. After this time, you may be billed, and to cancel, you'll need to request a refund, which... It goes through the same process you'll be able to do. And Steam is even more liberal with their refund policy. This is what they do. When you pre-purchase a title on Steam and have paid for the title in advance, you can request a refund at any time prior to release of that title. The standard 14-day slash 2-hour refund period also applies starting on the game's release date. So not only can you get your money back at any time before the pre-order is released, say you pre-order six months in advance and three months later you want your money back, you can do it. Guess what? After the game is released, you still have that 14-day, two-hour window. So say you tried the game for an hour and a half and you think it sucks after it was released, even though you pre-ordered it, you can still get your money back if it's in the, within 14 days of the game being released and you didn't play it for over two hours. That's brilliant. Look, I love Nintendo, and I'm a fan of Nintendo, but I'm not a fanboy of Nintendo. There's a difference. And I don't care how many steps forward Nintendo makes. When they make a dumb mistake and they take a step back, which is what they're doing here, I'm going to call them out on it because it absolutely drives me insane and it's unacceptable. I don't want to hear, it was funny too how Screen Rant was almost like to a degree white knighting for them. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. I'm not going after them, but oh, it's so hard when you already, even if you pre-purchase a game and you download it, technically you have the data on your computer. Okay, Microsoft deals with the same thing. Valve deals with the same thing, and guess what? I've refunded games after I tried them and didn't like them, and all they did was just remove the game from my Steam library. Even if it's tough to do, there's a way it can be done. Nintendo has a lot of money in the bank, okay? I'm sure they could figure it out, and they have very smart people working there, that if you, even if you download a game, that they could just take it out of your library and you can't play it. Valve does it, no problem. Microsoft does it. I'm sure Sony could do it, too. They have pretty weak return policies. They, they should improve them to compete with Valve and Microsoft, but that's besides the point. At least they offer something. Nintendo is just like, that's it. <laughs> you decide you don't want the game, you, you're stuck with it. We ain't doing return policies. We just want your money. It's such a bad look, and it's so anti-consumer. And this is the thing about Nintendo, is that as much as they take steps forward with certain things, they just fight kicking and screaming, even with using gameplay on YouTube. Look how long it took for them to warm up to that. Nintendo, part of being competitive is not only having a great piece of hardware and great games, is to be customer first. Microsoft's learning that. Valve has learned that. In some ways, there's other ways that Steam still sucks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not turning a blind eye to that. You need to learn it too. You need to, people need to be happy with the whole Nintendo, I guess you could say, ecosphere. And if you don't offer proper refunds where people have, feel they have the freedom of choice, they're going to get pissed off at you. And in the long term, that can hurt you. This isn't a win for you. It's a loss that you're allowed to do this to your customers and you just don't see it yet. Hopefully one day you will. 
So we know one of the biggest selling points both Sony and Microsoft have been discussing is how their next-gen consoles are going to be running solid-state drives, NVMe, much faster tech than mechanical drives. And not only is it going to make games load faster, but it's going to change the way games can be developed because of how fast assets can load off of solid-state drives. It's a big deal. It's not just, okay, oh, I could get into the game quicker. The loading times go from 50 seconds down to 10 seconds. Open-world games are going to be more dynamic, so on and so forth. Solid Getting rid of mechanical drives, I can't wait till they're gone completely. <laughs> like, any upcoming computer build I'm doing... Don't want a mechanical drive in it. I'm kind of done with them. At worst, maybe I'll do like a hybrid drive where it's solid state and mechanical. But in terms of a straight up mechanical drive, I'm done. I'm good. But anyway, this article comes from PC Games. I'll have a link to it below in the description. And this is some bad news if it's true. Now, this information is coming from a prototype that's been out there, the an Xbox Series X prototype. But if this is what Microsoft using in the next-gen console, it could spell... I don't want to make it like the sky's falling and be a sensationalist, but it could change what kind of games it gets. Because if Sony's drive as much SSD is much faster. Well, anyway, let me read the article that we'll get into it and then I'll discuss it with you. But the title of the article is the Xbox Series X budget PCIe 4.0 solid state drive could be half the speed of the PlayStation 5. That's huge. Okay. The new Microsoft Xbox Series X console and the new PlayStation 5 are going to be the first gaming boxes to ship with solid-state drives as their main storage device. That could well be a literal game-changer for next-gen consoles and potentially a nightmare of weak source PC ports. Which, yeah, even if you have a higher-end PC, like a lot of my older builds, not even that old, even like a year or two ago, I would get a SSD or an NVMe drive okay, for the operating system, and you're like, okay, I'll just get a fast mechanical drive for storage. But if games are designed to run on solid-state drives when the next-gen consoles come out, you're going to be SOL if, if you're using a mechanical drive because the games may not, the data may not stream properly. You're going to get a bunch of hiccups. You're going to see like a huge amount of pop in. So that could suck for people who have a secondary drive being their mechanical drive where they store their games. But despite reports that the PlayStation 5 is going to have an SSD with raw bandwidth higher than any SSD available for PCs, which Sony hasn't really confirm that yet i'm sure they're going to confirm it i mean they have mentioned things about it before but i'm sure they're going to confirm stuff when they reveal the playstation 5 which sounds like it's going to be revealed during february it looks like the prototype xbox series x consoles will have very much last gen ssd speeds a linkedin post from a former fison employee has detailed the ssd controller that was installed into the xbox scarlet and it's a chip that only supports sequential read-write speeds equivalent to a standard PCIe 3.0 NVMe drive. The Fizen PS5019-E19T is a budget SSD controller that's been designed specifically to connect over PCIe 4.0 interface. doesn't use a DRAM cache chip, and because it's essentially been based on a PCIe 3.0 controller, doesn't have the performance we'd expect from a pure-strain PCIe 4.0 device. The post was a surface on Twitter via Swee Clockers, if I'm saying the name right, I hope I am, I do apologize if I'm not, and confirms that there will be a speedy little PCIe-attached SSD in the new Microsoft Xbox console, 
console, but if Sony thinks it's going to have something beyond what most PC users can jam into the machines, it looks as though Microsoft is being a little more restrained about what it's putting in its next-gen game box. Fizen itself details the PC5019-E19T as having peak sequential read-write speeds, which aren't bad at all, of 3,700 megabytes a second and 3,000 megabytes per second, respectively, which isn't far off the performance of the super-affordable AdLink S70 drive topping our list of the best SSDs for gaming. Yeah, those are great read and write speeds. That's a resolutely PCIe 3.0 SSD with rated read-write performance of 3,400 and 3,100 megabytes a second and uses a much older Fizen PS5102-E12 controller, but those are still great read and write speeds. It does need to be stated that this is just the controller that's been dropped into the Xbox Scarlet prototype box, like I said before, and isn't necessarily the PCIe 4.0 controller that Microsoft will use in the final retail units. That said, dev kits are usually overspecced, which is true, compared to their consumer unit cousins. So usually they want to have give the developers some breathing room inside of the dev units so they could kind of whittle it down and make it run on the actual retail console. Microsoft may still drop a speedier controller into the mix, but realistically, when you compare it to any console in existence today, even with the budget Fizen controller, will deliver storage performance exponentially faster than anything currently available, not just compared to the PC. Now, this is interesting, this last paragraph I'm going to read here, because even if the Xbox Series X is more powerful on the GPU side, it could still spell trouble if their SSD isn't as fast as Sony's solid state solution they're going to put in the PlayStation 5. Or potentially the PS5, which looks like we will be getting a Samsung SSD and controller. And we know how fast Samsung's new PCIe 4.0 drives will be with the Samsung 980 Pro SSD getting outed at CES with almost twice the rated sequential performance of the Fizen controller, which is absolutely insane. That could be where the differentiation between the new next-gen consoles lies. With both running similar AMD technologies inside them, it looks like Microsoft is aiming for a faster GPU and Sony a speedier SSD. D. Okay, now they go on to say how if you have the Xbox Series X facing vertical, people will be idiots and put games on top of it, and, and they'll overheat their system, That which is their own damn fault. Here's a pro tip for any kind of technology. Don't put a fan to block where whatever computer or console you have cools itself, or it will overheat. But anyway, um, if this is true... Even if the Series X has a more powerful GPU with more compute performance than the PS5, it still means that it may be tougher for devs to port third-party games over. Because if they're relying on the PS5 super... Okay, I found this on the web for Zach's house powerful GPU with words. Check it out. I hate Siri. She's a moron. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what to tell you either. But anyway, if the PS5, the PlayStation 5, its solid-state drive is over double the performance of the solid-state drive that's going to be inside of the Xbox Series X, that could fundamentally mean that games that were designed to run on the PS5 either will have to be totally reprogrammed for the Xbox Series X or may not come to the console at all. Even if its GPU, the Series X GPU, is more powerful, even if it is more powerful 
than what's inside the PlayStation 5. That's not a big deal. If, if, there, if a multi-plat game's coming to the Series X and the PS5, you know, we're, we both know they're going to be based on Navi architecture, the graphics processors inside both next-gen consoles. We know the CPU is going to be Zen 2 inside of both of the next-gen consoles from AMD. They could just whittle down the graphics and make it run on the PS5. But if the drive performance, if the read and write speeds are so much different and that and they're designing games to rely on those read and write speeds in the PlayStation 5 and you just can't get those out of the Series X, I don't know how devs will get the games to run. It's kind of almost the same thing that people keep on saying. I keep on hearing, oh, Rich, don't worry about the, the Switch when the PlayStation 5 and Series X come out. They'll just downgrade the graphics and the games will still work on the Switch. It's not just about the GPU. It's not just about, you know, lowering the resolution or the textures or having, you know, less lighting effects or, you know, less shadows or no shadows at all. You, the CPU needs to handle the artificial intelligence. It needs to handle destructible environments and physics and the, N, the NPCs and how many things are on screen at once. And if the CPU inside of the switch can't handle those, you're going to basically have to rewrite the game from scratch from the ground up. And yeah, you could argue, Rich, there's enough. The Switch is selling well enough that they'll do that, but they may not be as inclined if they have to rebuild the entire game to make it work on the Switch. So you may not see as many third-party ports if Nintendo doesn't update the hardware. But that's a topic, again, for a different video. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with this. It's interesting that Microsoft would cut a corner if it's the corner is cut in the retail Series X we get later this year. And if so, we'll see what kind of consequences it has for the Series X if Microsoft sticks to this lower budget solid state drive in their upcoming console. I'm not going to do an in-video ad with this or anything like that because I just want to get to the point. And I was, it's funny because my buddy Art, um, he actually recommended I make a video on this and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to make a video on it. I'm not going to, you know, but then I watched Boogie's video himself called Boogie 2988 Exposed. And he's doing exactly what many people, including me, told him not to do. Boogie, Jesus Christ Almighty in heaven, you're doing the same thing I was doing back in 2017, 2018. You, you stop doing this. It Anyway, so in this video, Boogie goes on to talk about we know he has a very dedicated troll troll base, I guess, for lack of a better word. They're, they're, they're losers. These are guys that are in their parents' basement or in their own basements or in a mental asylum with in internet access who have nothing else to do but go after Boogie. Has Boogie done a bunch of dumb crap that has garnered this large troll base? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. He's made a crap ton of mistakes, but I've made a bunch of mistakes. We're human. You make mistakes. But the problem is, is that he engages these asshats and it gives them the podium that they want, the limelight that they want. And he doesn't get, he does not get, which it took me a long time to learn too, but Jesus Christ, Boogie, you need to get it. When you come out with videos like Boogie2988, all you're doing is doing exactly what they want. I don't know what publicist and what FBI agent told you to do all this, which maybe... If you did it behind the scenes, maybe, and not made a video about it and not made it public, I could kind of get maybe doing this bait and switch thing, but you made it public. You made it public, 
And then on top of it, you admitted that you lied about swatting. And all everyone's going to come away with from your video is that you admitted to lying about swatting. So he said that he was swatted twice in December and he wasn't. And this is from the subreddit post he had in his video. And he goes on to talk about other things too that I'll talk about. But anyway, this is them proving that he wasn't swatted in December. Now, look, I don't condone what any of these idiots do to Boogie, okay? I I think, look, just dislike somebody. Why? Do you know how many people I dislike on the internet? I'm not even going to name any. You know how many people I strongly dislike and think they're pieces of goddamn garbage? Many, many, many people. But do I sit there all day and go do try to do things to make subreddit posts about them and, and sit there and twist all of their words? No, because guess what? I have a life. I have a life. I do other things with my life besides worrying about other people I've never met before and what they do. You should try to do that one time. Step the hell outside once in a while. But anyway, this is the Reddit post. As many of you know, Boogie has recently been doing around falsely accusing both myself and this subreddit of swatting him twice in the month of December last year. Although this is a very serious crime, Boogie has provided no evidence whatsoever and has instead doubled down on his claims. Meanwhile, I have gone over every deleted comment and post in December and found nothing, proving that if a welfare check was called him that month, myself and this subreddit had nothing to do with it. Just to make sure no one swatted Boogie behind my back, I decided to check the public dispatch logs for Fayetteville, or Fayetteville, if I'm saying the name wrong. When Boogie made that claim that he was swatted twice in December, I don't think he understood that Fayetteville keeps records for every single time the police, fire department, and EMS are dispatched to a location, including the date, location, and reason for the call. These records are public information. In the month of December 2019, the Fayetteville Police, Fire, and EMS were dispatched to a total of 4,587 times. Over the last four days, I have gone over these records and have concluded that they were never sent to Boogie's place of residence a single time in the month of December last year, not only proving we had no involvement, but that Boogie lied about it ever happening in the first place. So, Boogie, I watched your video. Do I think it's wrong that you were supposed to be in a podcast and these assholes make false accounts trying to scare the person to not have you on the podcast? Of course, I can't stand that crap. Do you think I I enjoy seeing people go after your sponsors? No, I can't stand it. The same goddamn things have happened to me. Why do you think for the upcoming podcast, podcast I have coming up in February that I didn't announce that I was doing an interview with Sweet Anita? Whenever anyone comes on my podcast, you no one is going to goddamn know until the podcast is out or the live stream is up because I don't want them being bothered. Everyone, this is part of it, Boogie. This is part of being a content creator. But what you're doing by making this video is not exonerating yourself. You're just putting a limelight on these idiots and giving them exactly what they want. They want the attention. They don't care how many times you prove that you didn't do something or you were an accusation they made that that you prove it false. They hate you and they're going to keep moving the goalposts. They don't give a flying crap about what you prove. And I used to do the same thing too. I proved when I used to have a Patreon that I was legitimate with it. And and when I prove that, they move on to something else. And when I prove that, they move on to something else until someone just slapped me across the back of the head and said, God damn it, Rich, stop giving these people attention. 
And when I did that, it was the 99.9% of the trolling went away, but you can't help it. It's like an, you need to feed this and it's going to end up literally killing you. There was no need for this video. There was no need to defend yourself because they don't give a crap. No matter how many receipts you have, they're going to find more reasons to crap on you and they're going to find more reasons to hate you because they just hate you just like some people just hate me. It is what it is. That's the reality of it. You're never going, no matter how much proof you have, no matter how many times you prove them wrong, they're just going to find something else to go after you for. So stop Friggin' feeding them. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode three of the Exposed Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and there's more content to come real soon. You are exposed, sir. I'm going to expose you. Expose you.